That's an interesting question. Who will be in heaven? I think from our previous studies, we kind of understand somewhat about who will be there, but this gives us a little more detail, which is the beauty of having a prophet. You know, God gives the prophet more details that he allows us to see and understand, and then the prophet shares them with the rest of us. So that's a real blessing to be able to have that uh, resource. So let's start with a word of prayer. With uh, Patsy, would you like to give us opening prayer, please? Yes, sir, I would. Everybody bow your head. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Sabbath day. Lord, we thank you for giving us a breath of life and ability to go out and spread your gospel. Lord, we thank you and we ask forgiveness of our sins, our inequity, and our transgression. Lord, as we hear your word, Lord, let us continue, continue to study that you may be able to send the Holy Spirit to open our minds and then, Lord, let your wisdom, your understanding, and your knowledge be placed in each and every one of us as we go out and be witnesses for you. Lord, send the Holy Spirit to t uh, over Central State Conference as they go through the next two days, and we will get, be careful to give you the praise and the glory, because it will be your will, not ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So on Chapter 10, it starts out Christ's trophies. And it says, in, the day that, in that day, the redeemed will shine forth in the glory of the Father and the Son. Um, you know, sometimes people say, oh, so-and-so got a trophy wife and so-and-so got a trophy husband. What exactly does that mean anyway? They got someone that everybody else wants. They have someone that everybody else wants? Mm -hmm. Okay, what else? <laughs> You know, trophies, you look at the beauty, and they're always just, you know, just there for just for you to glance mm -hmm. at and you to uh, and, and look at the beauty. Mm -hmm. Okay. When they get dust on them, they replace them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lee, when you talk about a man having a trophy wife, it's somebody that makes him look good, you know, so it does come back to the beauty part, but he wants yeah. to show her off and make him look good, you know? Hmm. Yes, all those things. And a uh, trophy also reminds you of a struggle that you went through. You know, it took us a lot to win the championship trophy or took us a lot to win the choir trophy. You know, that reminds you of what you went through to get that trophy. Yeah, so, but check uh, this out. What'd you Before say? Someone got that... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Alvin. Somebody got that trophy wife. He had a, a hard-working wife that was there for him when he, when he wasn't really about none. He was struggling. And then when he got up on it, on his own and successful, he let her go and got the, the trophy wife. I'm just saying. Go ahead. <laughs> well, well, I think in terms of when I ran track in high school, look at all the practices we had to put in. And when we did win that trophy, you knew that you had been through something to get there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's all those things. So who are Christ's trophies? It said right in that first sentence. We are. He's yeah. redeemed. Exactly. The redeemed. And we are something that Christ is going to look at and be thankful for and happy about and reminds him of what he went through. And, you know, all those things that everybody mentioned, that would be all of the redeemed. Uh, Christ went through a lot, but when he looks over at his trophies, they recognized that his mission of suffering and sacrifice was not in vain. But you know what? It goes both ways. 
we're Christ trophies because Christ went through something to get us. And then Christ is our trophies too, because you know, we went through something to get to get to him. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it says in the next sentence, Jesus ascended to the Father as a representative of the human race, and God will bring those who reflect his image to behold and share with him in his, in his glory. How is it that Christ is a representative of the human race? Well, he became human and suffered with us and suffered for us. Okay, exactly. Anybody else want to add to it? He became human and suffered just like we do, even more than us. Yeah. Yeah, and he'll always have that humanity with him. But while he was here, he never used his divinity. He only used what was accessible to us to overcome sin and temptation. And that's the mystery of godliness. How can God become fully man and yet still be fully God? But he'll always be a representative of the human race because he'll always have that humanity in him. It says there will be many in heaven who their neighbors suppose would never enter there. What does that mean? It's called, uh, the little subtitle is God's Surprises. Many will be in heaven who their neighbors supposed would never enter there. Yeah, well, well see, that study. proves that we, we don't have the mindset. God knows the heart. As humans, we tend to think like humans. Why should that she be there? She didn't do nothing in the church. You see what I'm saying? I'm just using that as an example. I did this and I did that. But God doesn't look at that. God looks at the heart and God judges the intent, the motives, and whether they were sincere and they did all they could to serve him. Mm, amen. Anyone Ms. else? Pastor, I you? did do something. <laughs> huh? Okay. You I was just using that as an example. <laughs> Lakita, you had a comment? Well, I was going to say exactly what Pastor said. God looks at everything in our lives. And while we are being, we only see one side of the person's life. I think Andre was saying this earlier today that, you know, God sees the whole life, everything that we don't see. We only see that one part. And we go judging out off of that one part. But we, God sees all of the person's life. He sees how. The time, the day and age the person is living, how that affects, uh, impacts him. He sees how, you know, all the issues going on impacts the person. And um, he takes all that into consideration for mercy. Yeah. There's a Native American uh, quote that says, how can you know my life until you've lived in my moccasins? Something to that effect. Uh, but sometimes we don't live in other people's moccasins, but we still want to try and determine or judge what they're doing is right or wrong or you know we have to be very careful because other people are looking at us and thinking you know like you said Patsy what she hadn't done nothing you know but again God knows our hearts and many times we're looking at our neighbors thinking these people don't love the Lord they don't never do this or that that's that's our our belief for it but we don't know what they do the rest of their day we just see them when they come and go from home or see them on the weekends. But we don't know what anybody's doing with their time the rest of the day. But God knows. In fact, there's a lot of times we look at wealthy people, uh, say uh, Bill Gates or Bezos or Oprah, and we say, oh, they just, they just, uh, all they worried about is their money. 
but we don't know that these people are giving millions away in charity. You know, they just don't advertise it. So we should really be careful. We don't want people looking at us and thinking evil of us. So let's not think evil of other people because uh, as they say, the first surprise in heaven is that you made it. And then the second surprise would be other people that you didn't think uh, were gonna make it, make it. And then the third surprise would be the people you thought were gonna make it didn't. Yep. Mm-hmm. That would be the biggest shock right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say, Lee, also that, um, you know, we are told in the Bible not to judge. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we see people on the earth and we, <laughs> we're going to be surprised because we judged where they would end up. That's the only reason why we're going to be surprised. <laughs> we're told not to judge. Yeah. On uh, the part, Heavenly Companions says, then the redeemed will be welcomed to the home Jesus is preparing for them. And then look who their companions will be in heaven. There the companions will not be the vile of the earth, liars, idolaters, impure, and unbelieving, but they'll associate with those who have overcome Satan and through divine grace have formed perfect characters. So while we're here on earth, we socialize with each other, sinners saved by grace. But once we're in heaven, everyone there is saved and righteous through God's grace. So it'll be a totally different group of people. Some of the same people, but you won't have all the violence and all the hatred and all the lying that goes on on this planet. Uh, many times when you are, are working with people, you don't know these people. You just got hired or they got hired recently. You don't know them, but you're working with them. And then sometimes something comes out that, this person has been doing this, which is wrong, or that, which is wrong. And we think, wow, I didn't even know. I was working right next to them, or, or they were my neighbor for years, and I never would have thought. You never know who's who you're around. And we have to keep that in mind. Be careful, because you don't know these people. But when we get to well, heaven, you know- when we get to heaven, it will only be those who have overcome through divine grace and have formed perfect characters. So we won't have to lock our doors. We won't have to look, look over our shoulder. We won't have to keep an eye open when we sleep because we'll know that everybody there is pure and righteous. Go ahead, Patsy. And, you know, I was going to say, I watched this play where they had the college students and there was this gentleman, he was going around killing the, the college females. But when they actually showed him, you would, I mean, he looked just as normal as everyone else and, he had came from a well, you know, a middle class, well-to-do family. But just looking at his appearance, you would never thought he was a serial killer. Yeah. And I said, and that's that's the thing I like under Heavenly Compa- Companion. I like what you said. We don't have to look over our shoulders. Everybody that will be with that we will have as neighbors will be because they were saved by Christ into the kingdom, and we never had to worry about that crazy stuff anymore. Mm, praise the Lord for that. You know what? Sometimes we have, uh, there's sometimes there's little communities of church members who get together and live together. And people think that's, that's kind of like heaven on earth, <laughs> but, it, but it's not exactly. It's still sinners, you know, and you never know what somebody's going to do. Even though we love and trust one another as brethren, you know, you still, it's not going to be like it is in heaven. It's just not because we're still on this sinful earth and you never know who's going to fall away from God at any point. 
mm-hmm. you never know who's going to turn their life to God at any point. So we have to keep that in mind that when we get to heaven, that's where it's going to be so beautiful, so perfect. Everybody's going to have perfect characters in heaven. It says, and the moral beauty, the perfection of his character, Christ, shines through the redeemed in worth far exceeding the outward splendor. So it's pointing out there that character is what's shining through. You know, sometimes we get hung up on earth about the outward appearance and we wear fancy clothes and drive fancy cars. But what really matters is our character. And that's what's going to matter. Amen. Amen. Any other thoughts on that? Uh, On this next paragraph is 82.3, and it starts out, Brother Charles Fitch and Levi Stockman. Well, those were two Adventist ministers who passed away, but Sister White had a vision, and these two people were in a vision. Have you ever had a dream, and the people in your dream, you actually knew them? Yes. Yes, amen, yes. Yeah. Well, here she's having a vision, and there's actually people in the vision that she knows, and she talks a little bit about it, and she says, uh, talking to these two people, we try to call up our greatest trials, but they look so small compared with the far more exceeding eternal weight of glory that surrounded us that we could not speak them out, and we all cried out, hallelujah, heaven is cheap enough. Isn't that something? So when we get to heaven, we're not even going to think about trials and tribulations we had to get through on earth because we'll be so amazed at the glory that's currently surrounding us. Amen. Yeah, but me, I, I've been wanting to know the people's testimony. I just like when people come to know the Lord. I love those stories. So I don't know. I might want to ask everybody their testimony if they're willing to tell me. <laughs> yeah, if they can remember. But, you know, we have... That's why it's important when we have prayer meeting and testimony time now for people to speak up because I agree with you, Alvina. Testimonies are encouraging. They're interesting. They can be exciting and they help you to know that Jesus still does miracles nowadays and that he's still here. So, yeah, I like hearing testimonies, too. So when the opportunity comes, let uh, let people know your testimony of what God did for you. Uh, The next paragraph says, huge multitude redeemed. Nearest the throne are those who were once zealous in the cause of Satan, but who plucked his brands from the burning have followed their Savior with deep, intense devotion. You know, that points out why we have to be very careful when we say uh, people are evil and they doomed to hell, fire, whatever, because the Lord has reached a lot of people who were on Satan's side, totally. Just think about the Apostle Paul who was first saw, totally doing evil. He thought he was doing good, but he was working against Christ. And the Lord asked him, why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you fighting against me? And then he ended up being one of the greatest apostles. So we know people in our lives who seem are just, you know, evil and satanic, but keep praying. The Lord can still work miracles. That same person might end up being one of the best pastors or ministers or evangelists uh, ever. Any thoughts on that? Is any, has anybody has that ever happened to anybody? Somebody that you thought was 
really evil end up being in church and doing great work? Nope. Well, that's not so much that, Lee, but uh, there was a person that the Holy Spirit just spoke to me one day and said that person is going to be an elder in the church. Mm. And I ended up telling him that and he just kind of laughed me, <laughs> an elder. He wasn't even a member. He really didn't even really attend. He just was coming there to pick up somebody, somebody else from time to time. Mm -hmm. And um, now he's not an elder yet. Yeah, but I just remember just as clearly the spirit telling me, you know, that the Lord was going to use him one day. Yeah, it can happen. I recall. I'm uh, tell you, I was going to say, um, I know a man that used to be um, drunk on the steps of Berean. Um, and he was there all the time. And there was a lady coming to church one Wednesday evening for prayer meeting. And he was sitting right there just as drunk as he wanted to be. And she kept inviting me in. He kept turning her down. And one night he finally came on in. He came in and he sat down and he liked what he heard. And he came back again the next time. And then a couple of weeks later, he came back again and he kept coming. And then he started coming to church on Sabbath morning. And uh, long story short, he ended up being going back to school, becoming a minister. And I think he was uh, even got a conference position. Um, out in California. Um, so yeah, it does happen a lot. And uh, it just takes one time or somebody to just invite him in just because you're seeing them kind of out of their mind or, you know, uh, under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Um, wait till God gets a hold of them and see what happens. Yeah. Hmm. I knew a person, um, he was uh holy terror at work, beating on his wife and cussing her out and stuff. Years later, he ended up being a pastor. <laughs> mm. So you just never know how God can lead people. As you said, Andre, it might just be a visit or somebody sending them a tract or inviting them to church or sending them the link to our Sabbath worship. It could be anything. Exactly. All God needs is just a small foothold and his Holy Spirit is constantly working on the hearts of men to turn every one of us to Christ. So we just do our part by being faithful witnesses and, and speaking a word in due season where we can, as well as, you know, if you can uh, reach a person through any of the means that are available to us, you just never know. Cause think about it. Who else does God have to use other than sinners? It says uh, also a little farther down in that paragraph, it talks about uh, next are those whose perfected Christian characters in the midst of falsehood and infidelity honored the law of God when the Christian world declared it void and the millions of all ages who were martyred for their faith. So here's some of the martyrs, you know, um, who are there in heaven as well. Has anybody ever read that Fox book of martyrs? Anybody read that? What book? Fox's Book of Martyrs. Yeah, it's a really interesting book. And it talks about all the different uh, martyrs for Christ and how they died, uh, what their life was like, uh, what ended up being their very death. It's really interesting because amidst all the, all the discussion and the explanation and talk, 
you can see God's miracle working hand right in there, taking care of people. One of them I remember, I think this, this was this guy named Polycarp, and he was a witness for the Lord back in the day, back in the 18 or 1700s, or maybe even farther back. But anyway, they were that back when they were burning people at the stake, and they were going to burn him at the stake. This was during the Dark Ages. And they uh, put him up there and they, you know, they always ask you, okay, you want to change your mind before we light this fire? And he was like, no. So they lit the fire under him and he starts singing hymns. And then while he was singing hymns, the fire, you know, it changed to a different glow. I think it started glowing green instead of normal fire color. And then the guy, he just was singing and then he just, you know, passed away. And all the people in the crowd were in awe and they were like, wow, you know, that showed a lot of faith in him. You know, so again, just like the Bible says, the blood of the martyrs is going to water the seed of the gospel. So because of his death, a lot more people, you know, start seeking the real truth of God's word. But that's a really interesting book. Has a lot of. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's so interesting because if you are truly witnessing for your faith it's going to be not so much about your words but by your actions mm-hmm. and those people saw that and you know i've heard people say well you know or or we've, we've kind of heard this i guess said about people is that i don't know what you've got but i want what you've got mm-hmm. and meaning the, your relationship with christ you know, mm-hmm. amen. And, um, and you know, and that, that's it, how that that's how that that martyr's death waters the gospel. You know, yeah. And Go you ahead. know, I agree. With, I agree with Karen because there are times when people will call me and say, uh, "Hey Harper, what you doing?" You know, uh, I've been you know studying such and such, and you know they like. Uh, do you, re- did your church, you know, now I say, did your church, did y'all preach on such and such? And then I can go back to my notes and I'll be like, well, let me see what, and then, you know, like I said, then I, if I find it, I'll say, well, this is what thus said the word. I said that, that, you know, my pastor preached and I always say, this is the word of God, what he preached. And then I'll give them, I'll say, he did Matthew such and such. And they like, okay. They like, and they asked me, I said, what kind of things? I said, this the points that as he was, you know, was, 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 was preaching. So it's amazing how people will share and ask questions because they know what kind of character you are. They know that, you know, Hey, I trusted, you know, if I ask this person, they won't say I'm stupid and I didn't get it. Cause I tell them many times I hear pastors preaching. If I don't take notes, I may not get it until I study a little bit later, you know, when I'm one-on-one with God. That's true. Very true. Uh, so we talked about the those who were once on the, uh, zealous for Satan, whose lives were changed. Then we talked about the martyrs being in heaven. Are those the only groups that's in heaven? No. Who else? I think some of the prophets are there. Uh-huh. Well, we know that we know that the ones that were resurrected when Jesus was resurrected are there. We know that uh, Enoch is there and Moses is there. Um, so we know there's others there. Yeah, and a lot of them might or probably un- all of these kind of overlap a little bit with the 
perfection of Christian character in the midst of falsehood, et cetera. Uh, but then it says, beyond those people is the great multitude which no man can number of all nation, kindred, people, and tongue before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So sometimes we hear people say, and there are religions who limit how many people are going to be in heaven. You know, I think the Mormons have a certain number of people and the Yahweh's have a certain number of people. I think the Jehovah Witness have a limit, you know, on how many people. But the Bible says there's a great multitude. It's a number that no man can number. Yeah. yeah. So there's no limit. The only limiting factor is whether you have accepted Christ and been saved by his grace. So, uh, and what's interesting, mm -hmm. Lee, is I remember Elder Brown used to say that before Jesus comes back, God is looking for a number. And this is, and I don't know if it's necessarily the number that will be saved or not, but he's, he said he's looking for a number. And, and that's when Jesus is going to come back. Uh, yeah, only the well, I used to hear I used to hear people say only 144,000 is going to be uh, going to heaven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people have a lot of sayings about what's right and wrong, but that's why Lakita, uh, well, you have mentioned also about further study and Lakita mentioned, that's why we have to keep studying God's word because the devil has a lot of false theories out there designed to trick us and lead us down the wrong path. So whenever we hear anything, it's best that we go to the Holy Scriptures and study God's word and ask him to lead us to the light so that we can understand. And there's some things that God's not going to reveal to us. So that's, again, where that trust comes in. Some things we don't need to know until we get to heaven. Uh, it says the palm branch. Is it? I don't know if y'all's. Well, some of y'all might have been in a Sunday church before. Remember they used to hand out palm leaves on uh, Good Friday? Was it Good Friday? or It was the Sunday before Easter. And they would hand out a palm branch. Anybody but me know that? I didn't know that because I, I never went to a Sunday church that gave out anything like that. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, I don't ever remember growing up getting that on, on Easter. Lee. <laughs> Yeah, it was like the week before because that was Palm Sunday when Christ rode into Jerusalem and they threw the palm branches down on the ground for him to come in and sing Hosanna. And uh, so they give out those palm branches. Here it says the palm branch in the hands is a symbol of their triumph. And the white where are you, below, uh, right below where we were at about the martyrs is 83.1, the very end of that. Oh. Okay. The palm branch in their hand is a symbol of their triumph, the white robe, an emblem of the spotless righteousness of Christ, which is now theirs. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we know that in, in, in scripture, there's a lot of symbolism, you know, symbolizing different things, because sometimes it's easy to understand a symbol. In fact, it's a good way to remember things, you know, by having a symbol, because it reminds you of what it means. So the symbol of the palm branch and the symbol of the white robe are pointing to other things. You were about to say something. So very interesting. So then it talks about the apostles are all there. Uh, now look on 83.3, it starts out martyrs buried in Rome. Anybody know anything about martyrs being buried in Rome? 
I'm sorry, Elder, I don't know. Anybody know about the Colosseum in Rome? Yeah, yeah, where they were, they were torn apart by the lions for sport. People were. Okay, Lakita, what you had to add? Oh, Basically saying, thrown to the lions. Christians were tortured uh, in the Colosseum. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was almost mm -hmm. like a sport. They were, yeah, people came and sat around and looked mm -hmm. Yeah, if you've seen a picture of the Coliseum, it's just like old, uh, Bush Stadium used to be a big, the, the old Bush Stadium, the big round one. And then people would be sitting in there and they'd have the gladiators who were trained fighters. And then they'd throw the Christians in there like basically cannon fodder. And they just sit there and watch Christians being chopped up and torn by lions and bears and run over by chariots and all kind of evil things. You know, and then they had all these bodies, so they had to bury them somewhere, right? So they buried them beneath the city of Rome in the catacombs, underground caves called the catacombs. And it says, uh, when Christ returned, the catacombs, those who are buried there, he's going to bring them out also. So that would be very interesting. And there's no way of knowing how many thousands or millions of people were killed. You know, and if, if anyone took and like did some investigation or research under the city of Rome, you'd find all these dead Christians' bodies. And it just sounds really sad that people can look at that as, as sport, like basketball or baseball. They looking at killing people as sport, which, you know, even now, sometime I'll see, I'll see an advertisement on TV or something about a new movie coming out and they, the whole premise is killing people. And I'm thinking that's just so sick. I think they had this movie called the, the Hunger Games came out. And I was like, this movie, it's all about killing, chasing people and stuff. But you know, the devil, he puts ideas in people's heads just like he did for these people in Rome. He's got so many evil suggestions and people are so far apart from God that they end up following him. And so millions, thousands and millions of people are just killed for their faith in Christ. It's really sad, but when Christ returns, those people are going to come forth from those gloomy catacombs uh, because of their faith in being willing to die for Christ. You never know if you're going to be willing to die for Christ until you're in that situation. Yeah, but you know what, Leah, I always said that... Um, if you're not willing to live for Christ, you're not going to be willing to die for him. Uh-oh. Very interesting. And then there's also, you have to remember too, kind of along with what you're saying, Karen, sometimes it's easier for people to, to die for what's right, but can you live for what's right? So it's all kind of ways to look at it says his faithful ones with unutterable love, Jesus welcomes to the joy of their Lord and the redeemed will be shared in his joy as they behold among the blessed, those who have been won to Christ through their prayers, through their labors and through their loving sacrifice. Won't that be amazed to see people that you had a part in winning to Christ? Yes. And, and is there a limit on how you can win people to Christ? What are the limits to winning people to Christ? There's no limit. There will be some people with 
several stars in their crown and some with only one, but everybody will be happy with what they have. Do you think it's easier to win people through prayer, through your labor or loving sacrifice? Love and sacrifice. You think that's harder or what? With harder? You think it's easier or harder to do that? I would think it's easier because I can like get close to a person in their face and just do for them and they can see the love. But of course, the prayer, of course, goes with it. Sometimes when you pray, you can't always see what's going on, but you can, you know, you have something which you're in control of, you know, through mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit leading you. Okay, anybody else? Go ahead if you weren't finished. No, go ahead. Uh, I think they're all the same. I don't think anyone is, well, sacrifice implies that that's difficult because that means you're giving up something that you really want or you're giving up time that you prefer not to give up. But it's a sacrifice because you realize how important it is. So maybe a sacrifice is the hardest part. To say no to self when you really want to do something. Yeah, but the the end result, no matter what you do, is the same. A soul saved in the kingdom. So however you do it through prayer, uh, loving sacrifice, or Christian works, whatever it takes, the joy that you'll see about when you get to heaven and you see somebody that you worked with or that you prayed for, that you were kind to, and the joy that they'll have when they see you is going to be immeasurable. It would just be immeasurable. And many times we'll see people and we don't have a clue that we even said anything or did anything to help them, you know, because that silent witness of your life has taken hold of them. And they saw you coming and going and being yourself. And that's what interested them. So you just never know. It's going to be a lot of a lot of surprises in heaven. Any other thoughts on that? Now, uh, next paragraph, 84.2, it talks about angels, saints, and Savior. So the angels will be there, other Christian saints will be there, and Jesus will be there. And, of course, we'll be so happy to see all those people and the angels, but well, especially whenever you ask people who they want to see, everybody want to see Jesus, right? You know, along with some other people. But ultimately, we all want to see Christ. And in order for us to see Christ there, we have to allow others to see Christ in us here. Amen. Will there be any children in heaven or not? Yes. Yes. How do you know that? Maybe the kids are under the age limit. Well, being that there, when, when you go, when God is going to be coming. There's going to be family saved, and there's children in families. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then we, you know, we 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 say raise a child in the way they could should go. There's going. I mean, we got children that's in 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 our schools now. Our our you know our our, our Adventist schools. They with the way things are going, and God is right here at the door. Those children, because of the faithfulness in their parents raising them to understand and to love God, they're going to be saved in God's kingdom. Hmm. And don't forget the unborn children or the ones that didn't make it. They're born. What did you say, Alvina? Don't forget the children that were unborn or stillborn to uh, avoid it. 
Oh, yeah, that's really sad. And you know, from some of our previous readings, we have read about children being in heaven, of course. So yeah, there's gonna be children in heaven. There'll be some of everybody there. Uh, the main thing that's gonna be in heaven is a whole lot of joy, a whole lot of happiness, a whole lot of thankfulness, and a whole lot of praising of the Lord. So it's, uh, it's gonna be a terrific place. You know, sometimes you'll hear people uh, always laugh about this. People will eat like a hamburger or something, and they say, oh, that's heaven. And I'll be thinking, you got a low esteem of heaven if the hamburger meets your standard. <laughs> or, you know, heaven's going to be so much more than we can even think about here that you just can't really make a comparison to what it's going to be like because we don't know, right? And it's definitely not going to be a hamburger there. <laughs> yes, it's amazing what, you know, it's... Again, people, some people just aren't aware because you don't often hear about heaven in churches, you know, with the preacher, because not a lot of people know unless they've read the testimonies or prophecies of what's there because God has given us a little extra detail and extra knowledge and not everybody has, uh, has taken advantage of that. In fact, there's a lot of people who refuse to read testimonies or any prophecies because they have an issue with the prophet and they're the ones missing out because you're missing all that beautiful glory that God is sharing with us. Any thoughts on that part? Okay, let's go to 84. 85.2 says, uh, I, this again, Sister White's vision, talking about some lady that she knew. I saw that she was sealed and would come up at the voice of God and stand on earth and be with the 144,000. I saw we need not mourn for her. She would rest in time of trouble and all that we could mourn for was our loss in being deprived of her company. I saw her death would result in good. How can a person's death result in good? Nobody likes to see their family die, but how can a person's death result in good? Well, it's just like throwing a pebble into a pond. It has ripple effects, and so good has ripple effects. Just as bad has ripple effects, and so... Um, um, whatever her legacy was, it was a legacy of good. Hmm. Anybody else? How can a person's death result in good? Because sometimes when people die, then other people will feel like, um, feel the urgency to come to Christ. To feel like, yep. as you mentioned in here, how she says, I hardly know what to say to you. The news of your wife's death was to me overwhelming. I can hardly believe it and can hardly believe and can hardly believe it now. A sudden death may bring about for some people a re-examination of their life, you know, a, a rededication to God because they recognize that life is so short and it can, you know, that they have no real control. We have no real control over when over how long we live. So that can bring about a change in people's life and heart by thinking about, you know, when someone dies suddenly like that. Mm. Okay. Anybody else? How can a person's death result in good? 
Has anybody you known died and it result in good? What about Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> His death resulted in good, right? Uh, uh, Lakita's right about the sometime a person's death just kind of slaps you in the face and wakes you up. You know, I've heard a lot of people when they say, well, my mama died, you know, that just shook me and I had to find some way to cope with it. And then they end up turning to the Bible or going to church or whatever, you know, and turn their life around. And I think, Karen, you've mentioned that funerals, people, uh, you would have opportunity to speak to people about the state of the dead and stuff. So uh, it gives us opportunity to reflect on our own lives. It gives us opportunity to reach out to other people. It gives us opportunity to show our love for them by consoling them, empathizing with them, and being there for them in their time of sorrow. And all those things count. You know, all those things count. Jesus said, if you give somebody a glass of cool water in my name, that's a blessing. So when we're there at, say, a funeral or when someone passes in the hospital, that's our opportunity to help someone by showing them the love of Christ in that time of need. And, you know, people are in that situation. They're very open sometimes, you know. Sometimes they might be angry, but then they open up to to where you can say something to them that might lead them to a closer walk with Christ. So uh, there's opportunities in a person's death that can come out to result in good. Uh, next paragraph says, God justly condemns all who, God justly condemns all who do not make Christ their personal savior, right? We know that, but he pardons every soul who comes to him in faith. So, yeah, if you don't accept Christ, then you're condemned, but he gives everybody opportunity to come to him in faith. So if we do not come to Christ, then whose fault is it? Your own fault. Yeah. So I go down to the bottom of 85.4, and it, talks, it says, then if we are not saved, the fault will not be on the part of God but on our part that we have failed to cooperate with divine agencies. So I heard a uh, sermon once that was saying it's easier, uh, let's see, it was saying it's easier to be saved than it is to be lost. No, it's, it's wait a minute, it's kind of backward from what you want to say. It's easier to be saved than it is to be lost. I think that's it. It's easier to be saved than it is to be lost because God does everything possible, everything possible to save us. But we make the final choice to be lost if that's what you want to do, but it won't be God's fault because he has done everything, including giving his son in our stead. His Holy Spirit's constantly wooing us, we have the Holy Scriptures, which open our eyes to Christ and to salvation. We have other Christians who are good examples. And the list goes on of how God is constantly trying to reach us. And the only thing that a person has to do is accept. But many times people refuse to. And when that happens, God still doesn't just let you. If you just say, I'm through with you, God, he's not just going to give up and walk away yet. He's going to keep wooing and keep working and keep striving with you until finally he decides, okay, this person's, you know, giving up. 
and they uh, have made their choice. So as like I said in the scriptures, uh, leave Israel alone, he's beholden to his idols. But it won't be God's part if anybody doesn't uh, make it to heaven. It will be that, that individual's fault for failing to cooperate with God's Holy Spirit as well as open their eyes to all this going on around them. It would be very sad though for anyone that we knew that didn't make it, but you know, we had opportunity to witness to them and we didn't. You know, so again, that's why we should constantly listen to the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us to say a word in due season or to take an action that a person can see the light of Christ shining out from us. Any thoughts on that? Okay. Have you ever known a person who said that they never felt like God was trying to lead them to a relationship with him? You ever known anybody who said that or used that excuse? I heard a person say, I already talked to God, but he never answers me. You know, they call out to him, but they hear no answer. So I don't know. Or God doesn't care about them. Mm. What did you say to him? What did I say to him? Yeah, did you say I anything? Said, well, this, is, this is like my cousin, Janelle. I'm like, he does hear you. He does care about you. Call out to him with an earnest heart, with a sincere heart. And ask for forgiveness of your sin, so because sin separates you, you know that's what I try to tell my cousin, because she's the one that had a stroke uh, almost two years ago. Hmm. Did she recover? Well, she recovered. Well, she's she's. Let me say, she can't do for herself twenty-four hour care, but we have to feed her. So. She's not there, but she's come a long way. She wasn't a feeding tube. Now she can eat mm -hmm. regular food. So she's come a long way. Put it like that. Hmm. Praise the Lord. And she had given her heart to the Lord. She had, but she has a, a back and forth moment, you know, when she's feeling sorry for herself because her recovery is not going quick enough or she's not walking already. And I'm telling you, it's a process. Hmm. That's good. Anyone else had anybody say anything like that, that the Lord doesn't hear their prayer or he's not, you know, I've never heard God's voice speaking to me. Well, I think that's everybody's question. People, um, all people say, you know, they don't, well, not all people, but many people will say, you know, I don't know if the Lord, you know, the Lord's voice when I hear it because they don't know the principles of God. So um, if they can understood God's principle of love and compassion, and you no, know, well, let's say the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, and temperance, then that's kind of half of the battle right there is when you recognize, you know, if it's full of love, if it's, is it full of joy, the thing that I'm attempting to do and stuff. And sometimes people don't hear God's voice because what they want is so loud in their ears but they don't want to hear anything against what they want. So it's sometimes not, we are like that. You know, we just really want what we want. And so it's hard to hear anything differently. Hmm. Interesting. 
Okay. Now let's look at uh, the next paragraphs, uh, paragraph 85 point, no, 86.1. says, those who look to Jesus. Now we talked about this before in Sabbath school a couple of weeks ago about keeping the law, you know, whether uh, the law in relationship to salvation and grace in relationship to salvation, et cetera. It says, those who look to Jesus, he who is trying to reach heaven by his own works and keeping the law is attempting what? Uh, paragraph 86.1. It's impossibility. Yes, yeah, impossible. Why is it impossible? You cannot do it. Because you cannot power. obtain righteousness by keeping the law. Exactly. So there's a lot of people who think they can keep the law and make it to heaven. And I know some of y'all were on the Sabbath school class when we talked about that. Um, and a lot of times it seems when you've heard people talk about the law and talk about faith and grace, et cetera, many times you might come away thinking uh, that some people still believe that they have some, some works that they have to do to be saved. Have you ever run into people like that? While you're talking, it seems like they still focused on works for salvation. I run the people like they're not under the law, we're on by grace, so we don't have to keep the Sabbath. But we can, I don't know, I, I run through that, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there like that. I think I learned. I run it. I run into some people that want to tell me everything they doing for the Lord, and then how you know. Then they'll say, "But I, uh, but uh, I don't. I don't believe in all that Sabbath mess." And I thought, "Well, you just said all this stuff you doing for Jesus, but you don't want to read and know God's, uh, you know, day." And it's like, and then when they do stuff, you know, like I said, they're telling me all the stuff they doing. And it's almost to the point, it's like they're bragging. It's like, I'm doing all this to show you that God's going to take me to heaven because I'm doing all this. But they're doing it for the wrong motives. Mm. You asked a question about, you know, like, why uh, can't people do it for themselves? Because righteousness involves divinity plus humanity. We ought to be like Christ, and Christ was for divinity and humanity. We are supposed to allow the spirit of God to live in us and to work through us so fully. And we don't have a Holy Spirit. We don't own one. You know, we're, we can't manufacture the Holy Spirit. It must come from God. So it's impossible for us to, to um, please God or to, you know, save ourselves, if you will. We can't do it. It's not really about how much works we do. I mean, that's people might think that, you know, that that's it. But the truth of the matter is, it's just not possible. Not because it's not possible because we don't have uh, divinity to give ourselves. We don't have that. Mm. And the scripture says, by grace are you saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. In the book, Faith and Works, Sister White points out that there's there's two, there's a separation there. Salvation is by grace, period. There's nothing else you can add to it. It's only the grace of God that saves any of us. But that part that we talk about Christian works, that's part of sanctification. That's part of your Christian life. 
So there's kind of a separation there. Yeah, and then even grace, we don't have grace to give us. Yes, no, that's you know? the grace of God. Of yeah, course. it's not possible to do it, you know. And because we are just so grateful to God, that's where the works come in and we we express our gratitude and love to God by, you know, our behavior, by what we do. We desire to please God. We want mm -hmm. to do the things that God tells us to do. It's not a burden anymore. It's not a burden. It's, it's, a, it's our privilege to be able to do it. Yeah, it becomes part of you. And as we read this morning in the Sabbath school, this Genesis, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's what saved Noah and his family. It wasn't because they uh, were so busy working for the Lord and handing out tracts and whatever else they were doing. It was the grace of God which saves, saved Noah, and it's the grace of God that saves anyone on this planet. Uh, so it says, uh, when we think about uh, the apostle writes, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you could work your way to heaven, you could brag and wear a superhero costume and have a big S on your chest for salvation. But you, we can't do that. And it says the effort that man makes in his own strength to obtain salvation is represented by the offering of Cain. How is it represented by the offering of Cain? How is working for salvation represented by Cain's offering? I think Cain put it, uh, harbored in his mind, I'll give God what I want to give him. Not what he asks, but what I want to give. Because, because Cain, he was a, a gardener. That's what he did. So that was his best effort, his works. Oh, that was Cain's works. Lakita, what were you about to say? Um, pretty much what they were saying, that what they're saying is that Cain wanted to substitute in the place of what God asked for. He put a substitution there, which, as they both said, was his works, the things that he wanted to do. Yeah. But you know, it's really easy to, to get off on the wrong pathway, you know, to look at what I'm doing and think I'm doing good. You know what I'm saying? I think I'm a good Christian because I'm doing these things. You know, not I'm a good Christian because I really love God. You know, mm. or, or because, you know, I'm only good through Jesus Christ, through the faith that God gives me. Because of his grace, you know, I'm able to express this goodness of the Lord. And you know, Lakita, I had to come to the point to realize when I used to study, I used to be like, okay, I'm going to study so I can get it over with. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, as I begin to, you know, grow in Christ, now when I study, it's more that I want to make sure I have an understanding on what God wants for me to get out of the message. But years ago, you couldn't have convinced me that once I, once I got it done, it was like, oh, I'm finished. And I'm like, I wasn't that serious about getting it implanted in my heart as much as, as I got older. And now I'm like, I want to plant it in my mind and in my body and ask the Holy Spirit to lead me so when I need it, I understand God slowed me down to make me realize it's not about getting it finished. It's about did you retain what God wanted you to retain so you can be able to, you know, go out and be a witness for him. Yeah, you know, Pastor, Amen. what you're saying is so true. 
And that's part of that, you know, like um, I'm saving myself, if you will, you know, that works and stuff because it's like a tick. Okay, now I got that done. I study the Bible. I pray, tick, you know, all these things with no real connection to the love of Christ involved in it. Mm. I mean, we love Christ, but and we don't, that's why I'm saying it's so easy to slip into it because we're not always aware of the motive of why we're doing things. You know, we believe we're doing this, but you know, like I've run into people who think if they don't study, sit down and study the Bible a certain way, then they're not, you know, like they're not studying, they're not studying God or they're not devoting time to God or whatever. You know, when we pray, you can pray while you're walking around. You can remember verses while you're walking around and stuff. You can pray on your job and, you know, in your home before you have a conversation on the telephone with your girlfriend. Why are you driving? Yeah, why are you driving? Just don't close your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> But sometimes you you when you when you driving you you are praying because you don't know who's gonna run in front of you and who's gonna dart to your side of you. You just pray and ask God for traveling mercies. You know, one time I read where Sister White says that when we talk to God, we should talk audibly to Him. You know, like you're at home and you're just talking to the uh, praying to God. We should pray audibly. We should look up. That's kind of you know a lot of stuff that we have been. Oh, differently, you know. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of what we're talking about now is Christian maturity. So as we go from new Christians to more mature Christians, yeah, our attitudes and our thoughts and our actions will change. Um, hopefully, towards the better to draw us closer to Christ. Uh, we mentioned Alvina had mentioned Cain's sacrifice was the best Cain could do or best he could give, but what did God asked them to give that Abel gave. What did he ask them to give? The first. The first of whatever. Yeah, he asked them for a sacrifice, the lamb. Because that lamb was pointing to who? Christ. Christ. Yeah. Again, we get back to those symbols that the Bible is full of. The lamb was pointing for towards the Savior. And it's even uh, reiterated in the the uh, Story of Jacob's Ladder, we all know that one, plus the song, We're Climbing Jacob's Ladder. Well, what, who is the ladder representing? The ladder's representing Christ. Remember, with sin, mankind was separated from God. We couldn't reach him. Well, Christ, he is the bridge or the ladder to God. So when we're talking about we're climbing Jacob's Ladder, what that's saying is we're clinging to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And every 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 day we climb higher and higher. We draw closer and closer to Christ uh, through listening to his Holy Spirit, through prayer, through supplication, through witnessing and evangelism, through meditation on Jesus. All these things allow us to hold closer and closer to Christ. And as we uh, stick with him, we're climbing the ladder to heaven. So whenever you hear that song, remember that's referring to Jesus. And when Jacob had that vision about the ladder from earth to heaven, that represented Christ making the connection between earth and heaven that was lost through sin in Eden. So there's a lot going on in the scriptures. A lot of it's symbolic. And God, he gives us the interpretation of it if we'll just study 
if we'll just pray and if we'll just allow our minds to be open to his leading. Uh, next, next paragraph we'll get on our next uh, study in a couple weeks, and, and that will be um, where it starts out the 144,000. That's on paragraph 87.4, the 144,000. So we'll start there next time we get together to read uh, from the book Heaven by Ellen White. Okay, any further comments? Okay, let's close our live session with the word of prayer. Most honorable Father, in the blessed name of Jesus, we are just so grateful for your word, for your mercy, Lord, for the sacrifice that you made so that we may have a right to the tree of life. Dear Lord, as we depart here, we ask that you will help us to retain what we've been studying, what we've been hearing and reading. Help us to meditate this week on who is going to be in, in heaven and on what it's going to be like with you in heaven, dear Lord. We ask that you would give us holy boldness to invite others to come and to join us on this road, this journey, to meeting you, Lord, and to being with you eternally. We praise your holy name that you kept us through this week, that you've given us a reasonable portion of health, Lord, and that you've beat back unholy angels who have snuffed out our lives. And as we look forward to the next week, Lord, we ask for your continuous um, spirit of God to be with us. We ask that you allow the latter rain to begin to fall upon us, Lord, helping us and completing and helping us to be ready and Prepare us so that we may complete the work that you've put before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Sister Karen, what 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 will we be on with you the next time? Uh, we will be on chapter 84, I believe. In Testimonies okay. for the Church, volume one. What chapter? 84. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Everybody have a blessed Sabbath. Bye. Bye. Bye, Patsy. Bye, Patsy.